It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. The Calling of the Twelve Apostles I've always been fascinated in Jesus' selection of the Twelve Apostles. They came from every part of society, but mainly the lowest classes of society, not from the priestly class or the, or the power brokers of the day. It was everyday men from every corner of society. There was many fishermen, there was a tax collector, there was a revolutionary and a traitor. The calling of the traitor gets me, I mean, it really does. Uh, and we'll cover him later, but just imagine you're starting a business or, you know, you're, yeah, you're starting a business and God himself calls you to partner with the man who will steal from you and later betray you. It's terrible. But Jesus was obedient to the fulfillment of scripture. Just before Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, it states the following. Luke six twelve. One day Jesus went up to a mountain to pray. He prayed all night long. In the morning, he called his disciples to him. He chose twelve of them and called them. There was Simon, whom he also called Peter, and his brother Andrew. There was James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. There was James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. There, were, there was Judas, who was the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would hand Jesus over to be killed. When this actually happened, it's hard to know, as Luke has it here before his sermon in the valley, and Matthew has it before the sending of the two-by-two for evangelism in Matthew 10. Most dramatizations put the calling of the twelve apostles just before the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll go with this approach, as this was probably the first time Jesus really starts to rely on these twelve future leaders. Jesus' ministry style will be hands-on and empowering. He truly believes in discipleship in the moment. Check out what it says about Jesus. In Luke 6, he went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night long. What? He prayed all night long. And some people cannot pray more than five minutes. Jesus prayed all night long. And this is wild. And what did it look like? Really? I mean, I picture G- I picture prayer for Jesus was just speaking of Scripture and, and true prayers we know it like the lord's prayer versions of it but when he steps into his private moments true private moments with god it's adoration it's relationship it's just communion think about sitting at a dining room table with your family that's what jesus was doing with his father it would just look like prayer because he was still fully god and fully man in the flesh But I picture Jesus taking in and processing all the revelation for the Sermon on the Mount. It's not that he needed, really, honestly, he didn't need to prepare for the Sermon on the Mount. It's not that he needed revelation. He already had it. But then he was, that's the complicated part, he was fully man as well. He took it all in and he prayed and spent time with his father. But I picture one thing had to really trouble him, though, uh, because he has a heart of compassion Jesus will be announcing the 12 disciples to the world. These are the closest followers of Jesus. There'll be, there'll be three that he really trusts, but these will be the future leaders of the church. And surely Jesus knows all of them at this stage, but perhaps, and, and this is just speculation, he's processing and pondering on what this would look like and who, who exactly is what disciple. 
And maybe there's pieces that were hidden from him. And I imagine Jesus totally sees the gold in Peter, Andrew, James, Nathaniel, John, and probably Matthew, because he's called them and we have the backstory. And calling, you know, what I mean by he saw the gold in them is that he, he sees the riches of their gifting. And after all, God created them, right? So after all, he, he's got their backstories. And there's the problem is we virtually have nothing on the other disciples. And many of them. We have Catholic traditions um, of some of them, but those are just traditions. We don't have a significant amount of history on many of the other disciples. Perhaps Jesus was chewing on some of these disciples. Were these really the ones that were supposed to be the future leaders? You know, what about Simon the Zealot? We know nothing about him except they called him the Zealot. And the Zealots were the revolutionaries of the day. They were the ones who wanted to overthrow Herod via violence. Simon probably carried a dagger and perhaps was the conspiracy guy on the block or maybe someone who just got out of prison or perhaps it was Peter who used his sword later to cut off the high priest servant's ear. Who knows for sure. But to get this nickname or literal label, there was a reason. Jesus needed to see clearly his destiny and this is what he probably sought out with his father in prayer. He wanted to have a vision from the father for the future um, of Simon the Zealot. So let's talk about seeing the gold or the best in people. This is something I try to do in business with people. It's seeing people and their redemptive purpose and their gifting through eyes of faith. Judgment is judging people with your eyes and the outside appearances. If you despise a person, what good is that? Right? It's so easy to despise a person or find something wrong with a person. Um, so easy to, to, to judge a you know, anything on the outside. But what did God say to Samuel? First Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I can tell you this much. The people I have struggled the most with are the people I spend the less time with. It's easy to judge, but it's actually easier to love. The more you know people, the more you see their unique attributes and characteristics and giftings, and it's easier to love them. But if you trust preconceived notions and the opinions of others, you fall into comparison, false judgments, the spirit of the age, and even a competitive spirit, and you miss the gift of God in front of you. The gift is the blessing of the gift of God all around you through people. Think back a long time ago with me. Remember that guy named Mephibosheth? He was an invalid. Um, he he couldn't walk on his own. He had you know the ancient version of a wheelchair, and and he could hardly care for himself. But David honored him because he was the son of Jonathan, his best friend. He was the surviving heir of his best friend, and he honored him for it. What about the least popular kid in school or work? I challenge you. Smile, speak to them, encourage this person, and see what happens. In the case of Simon the Zealot, he was probably an ex- extreme, loud, outgoing personality with dark motives. But I imagine Jesus spending time with with him, and then Jesus spending time with God to fully see and understand the vision over him. Sometimes, sometimes it's harder to see the gold in people. And you really have to go in prayer. But generally, the more time you spend with someone, the more questions, the more relationship you have with someone, you can see the goodness in people. But sometimes it's harder. In this case, I, I just 
I don't know. You know, this is just me imagining what it could be like. Because um, I'm going to disturbed about the whole, you know, Judas thing. But Simon the Zealot was probably another one where, you know, Jesus, even Jesus, wanted to, wanted to see God's vision for him. I got a good friend. He was from another country. He came to America as an exchange student from Germany. And I always consider my friend a, a man of God. Uh, but when I met his American adopted father, he said, when I met your friend, he was a piece of work. The point is, my friend, uh, who I always thought was a man of God, um, his adopted American father took 10 years to uh, take him from a piece of work um, to what what I consider was a man of God. Um, so I, I'd share this story. It might mean a lot to you fathers and mothers out there. Never give up. Receive God's vision for your children and pray it in. And, and God will answer your prayers. Once Jesus understood his father's vision, he would speak it in. He would pray it in. In the case of Peter, Jesus was clear from the beginning. He would, he would no longer be a shallow, weak reed, but a solid and movable rock. The parable of the house built on the rock was almost written for Peter. The church would later be built on the rock. He would pray daily, if not hourly, for Peter. At Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus would say that Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus would continue to call out his purpose, and perhaps Jesus was right next to Peter when he healed the man who was lowered through the roof to encourage Peter to do the same thing one day. Teaching after teaching was patterned for each disciple for them to see how it was done. Everything was set in motion to transform them from the reed to the rock, in the case of Peter. But in the case of Simon the Zealot, we don't know what, but what did Jesus probably call him in private? Maybe he called him Simon the Zealous. Everyone who walks with God should have an experience um, of this transition from the unredeemed name to the redeemed name, or just a transformation in heart and mind, but sometimes there's a name to go with it. In the case of my life, I can see something similar. My name, Brett, though it has many name meanings, it, it actually means block in German. Well, that's not very impressive. But my name, last name, Heisten, stems from an old German name, Heisted, which means anchor or steadfast. And I can attest that my life before Christ was not impressive, not productive, and it was wasteful, as meaningless as a block of wood. But after knowing the redemptive power of Christ... I know the rock, which is my salvation, and I stand in his power steadfast. So practice it in family, business, and church. Ask for God to show you the golden people and call it out. This was Jesus' leadership model with his people. To conclude this episode, let's talk about Judas. This one's intense. Uh, it's just intense, and it's hard. It's a hard one to understand. And this is me, you know, call it speculative, call me, you know, trying to figure this stuff out. Um, so this is my opinion. Uh, this is what I think kept Jesus up all night. And what I believe kept him up was he knew and he was learning and he was processing his future betrayal. Jesus knows he'll die on the cross. He just does because he knows. And we covered this before. It's his purpose. It's not going to be a surprise to him. 
He has to fulfill the law and fulfill scripture. And Jesus knows the scriptures. And there's two particular prophecies that he knows as well. And surely no one really knew what they meant except for Jesus. Psalm 41.9 Even my own friend, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And there's this one, which is virtually written in code. Zechariah 11.12 And I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they price me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. The first of these prophecies will be the driver to understand this. And Jesus will virtually quote in this psalm, in Psalm 41, he'll actually virtually quote it in his betrayal. So Jesus knows what's going to happen and one of his disciples will betray him. And it has to be disturbing to Jesus knowing one of his disciples will betray him. And perhaps Father God, and I wouldn't be surprised, we just don't know how it all works, but perhaps Father God even hid who his betrayer would be until now. And Jesus learns late in the night, which is why he prays all night. Perhaps the prayer was this, Lord, who is my final disciple? And the answer, Judas your betrayer. Jesus must have screamed inside. And this is the complex part of Jesus. And and again, he's fully God and fully man. And he has the weaknesses of man and the supernatural aspects of God himself. Jesus, who had probably gotten to know Judas over the many days, has grown to love him. In fact, he would call him his friend or even familiar friend. He must have mourned the fact that he found him found him to be the betrayer, and yet he was his friend. He probably really liked him. I can imagine just for contradiction, Judas probably had an amazing personality or something. And to go further, Jesus knew his gifts and talents and the gold in him, the incredible gold in him. And this must have broken Jesus' heart. His own friend would betray him. Jesus must have been grieving inside. Sadness would have overtaken his human heart. And imagine, after many tears, late, late into the night, Jesus would have prayed something like what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, reconciling everything in his heart. But to think on it further, Jesus, the shortest verse in the Bible is when Lazarus dies, and it says Jesus wept. But though it's the shortest verse... The mourners, or or the people that are there, four days after Lazarus have died, though it just says Jesus wept, the people who saw Jesus wept, he says, oh, he must have loved Lazarus. The way of compassion is painful. The way of the merciful is painful, and there's many tears. I imagine Jesus cried a lot that night. It wasn't that he was surprised with his betrayal. He knew it would happen. And he reconciled it the day he learned it would happen and who it was. That's why I believed he prayed all night. And I imagine his reconciliation must have been the something similar to these verses. 
Matthew 26:38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Despite his heartache, pain, mourning for his friend, doomed to destruction, despite all this, the, the pain he experienced in intercession and mourning for his friend, I imagine he reconciled it with this simple prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. 